Okay, everybody. Assalamu alaikum. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Bismillahi ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalatu wassalam ala ashraf al-anbiyai wal-mursalin Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wa hlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. Rabbi awzi'ina an ashkur an'amataka alati an'amta alayya wa ala walidayya wa an'amala salihan tardah wa aslih li fi dhurriyati nitubtu ilayka wa inni min al-muslimin. Alhamdulillah, we managed to come here on Thursday and to discuss Al-Albay. Thank you for all those people who came. It was a pleasure to be in the mosque and to talk about a subject as important as Al-Albay. Because I don't want the people to have the feeling that when Muharram arrives, the only people who are having the right of remembering Al-Albay and thinking about them is the Shia. And that's not true. Al-Albay is for the Muslims. And without them, our even salah that we pray is not complete. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Ali Muhammadin. Nobody can take it off because this is something Rasulullah sallallahu did and asked us to do. And Allah commanded us in the Quran by saying, وَلَا أَسْأَلُكُمْ إِلَّا الْمَوَدَّةَ فِي الْقُرْبَى And I will not ask of you only being kind to my next of kin or to my relations or my family. كما قال Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala في Quran. Today, inshallah, we're going to continue the seerah. And this is the fourth lesson in the seerah. And I'm going to talk about from the time when Halima, when uh, Amina, Binti Wahab, the mother of Rasulullah, got pregnant and the death of his father, Abdullahi. And until he becomes in his late teens, early 20s in Mecca. And inshallah, if Allah wills and I'm alive next week, then we'll take it from there the time when he started working in business and traveling by himself and when especially the signs of prophethood began to be seen in everything that he used to do. And that's the most amazing thing about the Prophet ﷺ. But even though we're going to talk about the early days, but from the early days there are a lot of signs that we need to know about and we need to understand and we need to appreciate and believe in. When you talk about the Prophet ﷺ and things that happened to him, you shouldn't have any doubt. The problem is, when you have doubt, then your iman is not really proper. Okay? If, imagine doubt can spoil your wudu or spoil your salah. If you have doubt about the story of Muhammad Sallam, then your iman is spoiled. So, if you look at all the books, even though sometimes who disagree with certain things, because they're not quite sure, they're careful to touch anything. Because they don't want to put doubt in the mind of the people who will believe in Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As I said to you last time, Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of Rasulullah sallam, his oldest son Al-Harith was sent by his father to go to Medina to bring Abdullah because when the caravan people came back, he looked for his son and he was not there and they told him he was ill. So he said to Al-Harith, rather than him being ill in Medina, you must bring him to Mecca, alaykum salam bring him to Mecca, and we should nurse him while he's living in Mecca. But subhanAllah, soon he came back, when Abdul Muttalib went out, he saw him alone. He was disappointed and sad. But more than him being sad, Amina was very, very sad. Because she knew in herself, the man she chose to marry was carrying something special. And she knew that she was carrying that child in her stomach. She wanted him to be there. And her sadness, they say in the seerah, is more greater not because of herself losing a husband, 
But for this child to be born in a world whereby an orphan is not given any position. An orphan was someone who has no place in the society at that time. Even if you come from a noble family, because you have no father. Anybody can say it to you like an insult. You have no father. Okay? And this is something that she was sad about. Now, Allah said in the Quran about that, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم والضحى والليل إذا سجى ما ودعك ربك وما قلى وللآخرة خير لك من الأولى ولسوف يعطيك ربك فترضى ألم يجدك يتيما فآوى Now this is a surah most of you should know. A very very special surah. Allah made an oath at the beginning of the surah. والضحى الضحى يعني time in Islam begins with السحر okay والفجر والصبح والإشراق ثم الضحى these are the time okay and then you go ما قبل الزوال وقت الزوال ما بعد الزوال والعصر ثم المغرب ثم العشاء okay this is the timing and this timing are linked to worship so Allah has chosen the time of al-duha for this surah. That time begins from when the sun has risen about almost from the horizon seven spear lamps. Time-wise about 20 minutes. Some people say 15 minutes, but I say 20 minutes. And until before the wild time when the sun is up in the middle of the sky where it is midday, when you cannot see your shadow if you are standing outside in the sun. That time Okay, it's midday, and therefore from that time when it's the beginning of the sun or Salatul Ishraq, this also Salat al Duha. Al Duha is very important because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the hadith, Inna fil jannati la babun, yukalullahu al Duha, la yadkuluhu illa al Musaluna al Duha. Indeed, in paradise, there is a gate called al Duha. None will be able or be allowed to enter through that gate to see what is behind it, only those who used to pray Salat al Duha. And Salat al-Duha is a sunnah the Prophet prayed, two rag'ahs, four rag'ahs, six rag'ahs, or eight rag'ahs, and you can pray more if you like, but it is one of the most special prayers. Okay? And subhanAllah, Allah made an oath by the time of al-Duha because it's a special time. Allah knows what is more important about that time, but the Prophet made sure he prayed to thank Allah for that time. And then Allah goes and made an oath with the night when it gets dark. And he says to Sayyidina Muhammad your Lord, has, your Lord had never forsaken you. This is when the Quran stopped and Jibreel never came to him. And those who were against him began to say to him, look, whatever you used to receive, a jinn or a shaitan, whatever it is you are talking about, has stopped and you have nothing to say anymore. And he was sad. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then revealed the surah to tell him, Allah has never forsaken you, O Muhammad And then Allah is reminding him, أَلَمْ يَجِدْكَ يَتِيمًا فَآوَى O Muhammad Sallam, didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala found you an orphan? And then he looked after you? Now here, it is something you need to ponder about. I'm talking about Amina feeling so sad. She's carrying a child. She's worried about the people of the time to haunt him by saying terrible things to him. And you know how horrible sometimes people could say things by their tongues as an orphan child. But Allah is telling him, forget about them. We looked after you then. And subhanAllah, you will know now how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looked after him. 
And this surah, surah al-duha, by the way, if any one of us want Allah to look after them and open their heart for a spiritual understanding and closeness to Allah, you should read it for 40 days and every day 40 times. Surah al-duha, if you read it every day 40 times for 40 days, Allah will open your heart for receiving the spiritual gift. This is what our mashaykh used to teach us when they are teaching us these things. Because it is important to know. Just every day, 40 times through the duha for 40 days. Don't miss any day. Just do it consecutively. And then inshallah, you will see a lot of benefit in this surah because Allah is going to take care of you and open your heart for the higher knowledge bi'idnihi ta'ala. At that time, when Amina was pregnant with Sayyidina Muhammad sallam, Abdul Muttalib, his grandfather, used to go and sleep sometime in the Kaaba. They used to put for him a bedding on the shade of the Kaaba. The Kaaba is not like today. There is no يعني, sur or a fence around it. It's just the Kaaba itself, and that's it. People can come, make tawaf with their camels. They can walk. They can come in groups. They can come in okay, singly. But everybody used to come to the Kaaba and find Abdul Muttalib always. When the shade moves, he's there all the time. He's like the guardian of the Kaaba. One time he was sleeping, and subhanAllah, while he was sleeping, suddenly he saw a little plant growing, and in a moment it grew so fast, it became a tall tree, and he could see it reaching the heavens, and it is branches reaching the east and the west. And from it came a strong light. He got up very frightened and worried. And they used to be very superstitious, the Arabs at that time. And the only person who can answer them is a kahin or a kahina, the superstitious yani men who used to read the palm and the cup and the stars. So straight away there was a famous woman in that land. He went to her to ask her what is happening. But while he's sitting in front of her, he looked terrible. He looked worried. So she said, why are you worried? What makes you worried? Or literally in Arabic, she said, what is that worrying you? Why are you worried? He turned to her and related to her the dream. She smiled and she said to him, يخرج الله من نسلك رجل له مكانة عظيمة. The Creator Almighty Allah will bring from you or from your descendants a child who will have a great position in the society. Now, these people, sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allow them to say the truth. Because Rasulullah said, The Munajjims or those people, the Kahins, even if they tell the truth, they say it without knowing what they are saying. But Allah sometimes makes them say the truth. And you know, it is right. You see? And this is something that you need to think about. Because somebody might ask, how could the Munajjim say such a thing? Because Allah allows them to say it. He got up feeling delighted and happy and he just rushed away, paid her some money for the good news. And this is the tradition of the Arab. Whenever they hear good news, they are very generous. Even now, if you come to an Arab person and give him good news, he straight away will give you. They call it al-bishara. Okay? The good tiding for telling me the good news. You can have it from me and you can go. Okay? Now, Amina, while she's pregnant, she used to tell the people, I don't feel any pain. I don't feel any difficulties. And you know that women, while they're pregnant, the earlier thing that they feel sick, they don't feel like eating, or they feel eating things that are strange. 
like eating okay, bananas with chilies. Okay? <laughs> Sweet bananas, putting chilies in them. Or suddenly, like eating strange things. Ice cream with onions. Doesn't make sense. But they do. And this is what comes to them at the time of pregnancy. So when a woman is pregnant and she's doing those strange things, don't be surprised. Don't think she's going crazy. Or she's going mad. This is natural. So, but Amina, radiallahu ta'ala anha, never felt any feeling of pain or any feeling that is strange like women used to feel at the time when they were pregnant. Okay? She used to see every night a beautiful dream. In fact, regularly she used to see prophets of the past that she used to hear about. Like Adam alayhi salam, Idris alayhi salam, Nuh alayhi salam, Hud alayhi salam, Salih alayhi salam, Ibrahim, Musa, Harun. All of them, they will come to her in the dream. And she says, after he was born, every time I see one of those great men, he will tell me, فَإِذَا وَضَعْتِهِ يَا آمِنَ فَسَمِّيهُمْ مُحَمَّدًا فَإِنَّهُ سَتُحْمَدْ عُقْبَاهُ Oh, Amina, if you gave birth to him, this child, you must call him, call him Muhammad, the praised one. For indeed, Everyone will praise Allah on his behalf. We are all thanking Allah for Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay? And she used to say, every time I dream, I see a light. Either coming out of me, shining to the heavens, or coming out of the earth. Okay? Where I was living, shining onto the heaven. Okay? Now, subhanallah, Sayyidina Muhammad sallam, when the day of the birth came, it happened to be a Monday. It was the month of Rabi'ul Awwal. It was the 12th of Rabi'ul Awwal. And it was the year of the elephant, as we spoke last week. When Abraha, okay, the army officer of uh, Abyssinia, who came and conquered Yemen, was trying to destroy with an elephant and his army, the Kaaba, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed him, his elephant, okay, and the army with him. Now, one of the scholars who are living in the 20th century, I think he's still alive, okay? His name is Mahmoud Basha. Mahmoud Basha is an Egyptian. Uh, and he did a lot of research about when exactly Sayyidina Muhammad was born. He said he was born on the month of April in the year 571. And to be precise, he said he was born on the 9th of April. This is by his own studies going back. And there are methods and there are, mashallah, beautiful ways nowadays. You can count even your own birthday. If you don't know your Islamic birthday, you can count it. There is a formula I used to have. You can use it to work out your Islamic birthday. And if you don't know, okay, in the modern calendar, your birthday, you can work it that way. It was done by the Arab long time ago. It is a beautiful way of knowing that. Now, immediately when he was born, Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu At the time of the birth, Amina said, I could see two women in the presence of many others. The two women that were present at the time of the birth, I knew because they used to come to me and give me the good news I'm going to have the last prophet, was Asiya, the wife of Pharaoh, and Maryam, the mother of Isa alayhi salam. And she said, too many other women of the garden, Hadirat al-Quds, and a lot of the Hur, Al-Hur Al-Ain. Those are women of the upper world. They were there present witnessing that. This is at the time of the birth of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And she said, 
once he came out, he sallallahu alayhi wasallam was putting his two hands like the way he was making sujood. He put his head down and he raised his head up to acknowledge by the raising of his head his humility before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Later on when he became the Prophet وسلم, he told the companions, those who were showing their knowledge or eloquence in language or poetry or strength or their lineage, he said to them, Tawadau, do humble yourself. For indeed anyone who will humble himself before Allah, for what he knows about himself, Allah will raise them. So Sayyidina Muhammad knew that he is going to be the, the, the last prophet and the seal okay, of the prophet and the last messenger to mankind. Yet when he came out, straight away his hand on the floor and his head down and he raised his head and looked up to show his humility to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I am your servant. Just like Sayyidina Isa when his mother was carrying him and his people confronted her and questioned her, how could you be coming and you are not a married woman carrying a baby? How did you do that? And your family used to be a noble family. Have you done shame on your family? Her son said to her, today you do not speak mother. I will speak on your behalf. And he addressed them. And the first thing he said, Ana Abdullah, I am the servant of Allah. Atani al-Kitab, he has given me the book. And he already declared that I will be, or decreed I will be a prophet. And then he talked about the other thing. So it's not only... Yani Sayyidina Isa or other prophet, but Sayyidina Muhammad knew it's why he did that. Okay? He did that especially to show that to the people who are around him. He was born in a place in Mecca called Al Iras. Just like you have got districts in London. In Mecca there are different districts, and the place where he was born is called Al Iras. And he sallallahu alayhi wasallam born clean. Any child when they are born. They need to be washed. There is some blood, there is some of the liquid uh, of the womb outside them. They need to be wiped and cleaned properly. Usually they are washed. He came out clean. He didn't need washing. This is number one. Number two, always you have, okay, the child linked to his mother. He came out, his navel is already ready in its place. They didn't need to cut him from his mother. That means, his navel was not connected to his mother. It's why he was ready. He was also born circumcised. He did not need to be circumcised. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And subhanallah, as I talked about Fatima last time, when Fatima was born, Fatima was born different than other women. She doesn't have the regular monthly cycle. That's why they call her as Zahra, meaning the clean one. She doesn't have a cycle. And subhanallah, she used to have children. And we know naturally, women, they have to have a cycle to have children. This is the natural way. But for Fatima, no, there was no cycle. Radiallahu ta'ala anha wa Sayyidina Muhammad was born, okay, circumcised. And he was born with kuhul in his eyes. Okay, as we call in Urdu, surma, in his eyes. So that his eyes, subhanallah, as if somebody took him and put that kuhul in it, but he was born like that. And he was born, subhanallah, as if somebody put cream in his skin and his hair. Because usually when children are born and they're washed, you have to, okay? And subhanallah, they said from him came a smell that the people who were there were trying to touch him to get some of that smell. And we know when later on he's older, the children used to be witness that the Prophet touched them. 
when he put their hand in their head and they walk about, they can smell the smell of the Prophet ﷺ from them. Okay, this is he sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So in the seerah you read, Wulida Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Okay, Nadifan, Makhtunan, Makhtu Asuri, Tayyiban Dahinan, Makhulata Aina, Ali Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He sallallahu alayhi wasallam was born clean. Okay, was born circumcised, was born where his navel is being cut from the mother already. He doesn't do it after that. And he was being perfumed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he was being covered okay with a special cream that Allah had brought him with from his mother's womb and his eyes were being given a special look whereby Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given that to him before he was born when he came out in the presence with those women from the heavens like Asia and Maryam and the others there was some other women of the city of Mecca and among them a servant woman whom his uncle Abu Lahab gave to her, to Amina, so that if a child is born, this will be looking after him. And her name is Thwayb al-Aslamiya. She declared that when this child was born, the light that came, you could see everything. In fact, his mother said, when the light shined from the place, when he put his hand, she could see up to Sham. Herself, the mother. And she could see anything clearly. That is not a normal light. A light that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed to come to show the position of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Immediately at that time, all those who were in the Kaaba or around the Kaaba, they say all the statues just fell down. All the statues, suddenly. The jinn, according to the Quran, they used to go up to the heaven to try to listen to the news of the malaika. They were refused at the time of Sayyidina Muhammad There is no way they could go and listen what is happening and too many angels were allowed to come to the earth. In fact, there was like a rejoice in the heaven. They say the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the chair, okay, the seven heavens, all the gardens were prepared for the day when Sayyidina Muhammad was born. Ridwan was commanded to open the doors of the garden. Malik, the guardian of the hellfires, he was commanded to close all the doors of the hellfire. We know that it is happening every Ramadan as a gift to Sayyidina Muhammad for his nation while they are fasting because fasting is only for Allah. When you say, why did Rasulullah says in Ramadan all the gates of hell will be locked and all the gates of paradise will be open? Because they were open at the time of his birth. And thereafter, when Ramadan was made compulsory, because fasting is for Allah to thank him. If you notice now, as I said on Thursday, every time Rasulullah achieves something good, he fasts to show gratitude to Allah. So whenever you receive good news, if you want to show gratitude to Allah, fast for Allah a day. You pass your degree, fast one day for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You hear good news about anything, just fast. That's the sunnah of the Prophet and the Prophets before him, alayhi salam. Okay. Now, it is also mentioned in all the seers that the ruler, Kisra, okay, suddenly, while he's sitting on his bed, his bed collapsed, and he used to rule the area of Sham and Egypt, and his palace suddenly cracked, a big crack, and everybody was frightened. The earth was shaken, and 14 windows of the palace were broken. This is 
what is reported in the seer. There used to be a lake called Sawa, and this lake between two cities in Iran, Qum and Hamadan. Everybody who used to worship, either at that time used to worship the stars, the sun, or the moon, or statues, or a human being, or this water, or the fire in Iran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala show a sign. This existence of people who worship beside him is no longer accepted. That water dried overnight. The moment he was born, it's gone. People came, there's no water. Okay? And there used to be an area where people used to think about, okay? In a valley called Samawa, where nobody will travel through because it was so dry, and if you don't get water there, you will die. Suddenly, for no reason, water started dashing from that area. Okay? And it, if you read all the seer, it is also reported that Wadi Samawa is filled with water. As Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was born, the malaika were praising Allah in the heavens, the birds were flying from their nest, the animals were running out, something is true. Everybody around the area was knowing or knowing that something happening great. But few of them knew what is going on. But although they were waiting for somebody to be born at that time. Now, his mother, out of joy and happiness, she straight away sent to his grandfather. When your father is dead, the only person who can look after you is your grandfather. So she said, to Thwayba, go and call his grandfather. She went, she saw the grandfather in the Kaaba, she called him to rush. The grandfather walks in Abdul Muttalib, he saw him, he was delighted to see him, he was pleased. And he looked at him, and subhanAllah, he smiled. Sayyidina Muhammad smiled at him. And he said in himself, indeed, this child has something special in him. He took him and embraced him, and he went out with him straight away to the Kaaba. And they say, he went there, and praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thanked him for bringing this in his family. That means he knew. And he says to the people who were around, indeed, for this child I am going to have today, there will be a great news to come in the future. How could he say such a thing if he didn't know? In Arabic he said, Indeed, for this son of mine, there will be a great affair to come. Now, tell me, if all the people of the Sira wrote it, it is being reported, and he said it, Islam was not declared yet, but yet he knew what was to happen because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the last lesson, has given his fathers the knowledge to understand that he's coming through them. Suhaiba then, she rushed back to tell her owner who gave her to Amina, Abu Lahab, and when she rushed, he was just coming out of the Kaaba. He missed Abdul Muttalib bringing him and out. And when he saw her, he said to her, Why are you rushing? What's happening here, Thwayba? She said to him, I have a good news for you. What's the good news? Tell me what's the good news. The good news, Amina has given birth to a baby's son. Now for him, the good news is not his brother or his brother's wife gave birth to a child and he's happy. He is happy it was a son because if it was a daughter, it will be upon him to take her and bury her alive. And they used to be ashamed of daughters being born. So immediately he felt free. He said to her, He freed her immediately. He said to her, from today, you are not a slave. She rushed back to Amina. And Amina was happy with the new baby. 
And she sat, confused. And Amina asked her, what is, what is wrong? Aren't you happy? She said, I'm very happy. But I am free. What am I going to do with my freedom? She said to her, you're going to be with me and you're going to look after Muhammad. Would you breastfeed him for me? What an honor. And subhanallah, before breastfeeding Sayyidina Muhammad sallam, she was breastfeeding Hamza ibn Abi Talib, his uncle. So Hamza and Muhammad sallallahu are brothers. Although he's his uncle, through rida'a or through breastfeeding. Okay? This is amazing. I, I was, uh, my, my nephew and myself, my oldest nephew from my sister, okay, he's four months younger than me. When my mother was traveling abroad, my sister was breastfeeding me. So I'm his uncle, but yet he's my nephew. And my, my sister used to be like my mother. Well, you, seriously, when I used to see her, and I went, the way I treat her, like my mother. So this is the way. If somebody breastfeeds you, they become. And if suddenly you are breastfed by a mother, by a woman, and she had a daughter, or a son you want to marry, you can't. Because they become, this is in Islam. So Hamza ibn Abi Talib and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi were breastfed by Thuiba al-Aslamiyya. His mother only breathed him for a few days. Some people say three, some people say four, but some people say seven. We agree with seven days. And after seven days, he was taken over by Thuiba al-Aslamiyya and she was looking after him and doing that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants her to do to make the life of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu a good life. Okay? On the seventh day, his grandfather commanded the people, because this is the tradition then to name the child. And subhanallah, to show that they were carrying some of the aspects of the religion of Ismail alayhi salam, Sayyidina Muhammad has made it a sunnah. On the seventh, you must name your child. So on the seventh, they killed. He killed a lot of animals and invited all the noble people of Quraysh. And they all came. And subhanallah, when he brought him out to them, they were all looking at him and they were surprised because they could see something special about the child. And every man was looking at him. If he was a good person, Muhammad would smile in his face. And if he is an evil person, he will not. Some loved him, wanted to call him and carry him. Some got frightened and worried. They already knew a child will be born who will be noble and he will be the seal of prophet. The Jews and the Christian of the time, they knew that. In fact, in their books, it was mentioned he will be born, he will be born in Mecca, his name will be Muhammad. Okay? In many, many of the historical religious books, it was written. And therefore, there were three families at that time. In the same time, they named three children Muhammad. It is reported in the history. Three children beside him were named Muhammad. But he was the first to be given that name. So his uncle, when he was carrying him, they asked him, Ya Abu al-Harith, O father of al-Harith, what did you name your son? He said to them, I named him Muhammad. One of the people who were sitting there was astonished because they know. And I think he felt a little bit, why did you name him that name? Yani, do you think he's going to be the man mentioned in the book? He was wise. He just said, I named him Muhammad so that indeed, Whatever he does will be as praise for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What a wise answer. Otherwise, there will be a lot of conflict and worry and fight because of what he is doing and what he is saying, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, the women who gave him okay, birth or murdi'atu, okay, his mother, for seven days, was breastfeeding him. Then Thuwaib al-Aslamiyya, she breastfed him. People say, 
maybe for two or three weeks. And there is a tradition at that time for the Arabs to give the child to somebody to look after them outside. Their schooling begins early. The child is taken when he is maybe three, four, five weeks, six weeks, maybe not more than two months, to go and live in the country with a noble family to be breastfed and looked after and nurtured in a way whereby he will grow up to be a warrior. Somebody who could ride horses, can handle animals, can handle the nature outside and become a strong-willed human being. This is the idea. Now, Thuwaib al-Aslamiya, okay, although she was a slave woman who was freed by Abu Lahab when she brought him the good news, she breastfed him and remained and stayed with his mother. And subhanallah, the Prophet ﷺ never forgot her. Never forgot her. When he grew older, he always used to send her clothing, used to send her food, used to send her whatever she needs. And he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she used to come to him sometime when he was married to Khadija later on, and he will get up for her and respect her. Many people disputed whether she became a Muslim or not. But there is a great scholar called Ibn Munda, okay? He did a good research about this. And he is convinced she became a Muslim. Because the way the Prophet used to treat her, the treatment of somebody who was embraced the first, alayhi salatu wasalam. Okay? Now, Halima Sa'diya is the woman who took care of him after that. Three weeks, four weeks later, Halima Sa'diya comes from a tribe, okay, that is well known, okay? And the tribe called Bani Sa'd. And therefore they call her Halima Sa'diya. Okay? Like Muhammad al-Masri. Muhammad the Egyptian. Okay? Or Abu Bakr sudani Okay? This is to say the country where you come from. So Halima Sa'diya, subhanAllah, from Bani Sa'd, she was not from a rich family, but she was from a noble family. When you are from a noble family, people give you their children. But if your situation is poor and you cannot give the best of training for the children, they will not give you. Mecca was full of people who were very rich at that time. And when children are born, a lot of women from the tribes outside, they will come from the country, they will come to Mecca looking for the children to take them, and they go. And subhanAllah, when the mothers and the fathers are looking, they are looking for the woman who will come riding in the best okay, vehicle, uh, dressed in the best dress, showing the best attitude, knowing her family and where she comes from, and then they will give because... And the women will only choose the child that comes from the noble family because they know and the father is there. They can be given a lot of money for looking after the children. Now, most of the children were picked by those women who came earlier. But Halima Sa'diya, she came later. And they said in the seerah that she was riding her donkey, not even a horse, a donkey or a camel. She was riding a donkey and the donkey was limping. And she was coming late. When she arrived, she looked around, she couldn't find any of the children that she can carry. And Abdul Muttalib saw her. Abdul Muttalib went to her and said to her, would you look after my grandchild? Because he felt that she's a good woman. Allah had given him a feeling that she's a good woman. So he wanted, subhanAllah, her to do something for him. When she heard him saying, the grandfather, initially she felt, no, if the father is not there, I'm not going to get the right okay, payment for him. But then 
she felt she will go and look at the child. He asked her, what's your name? She said, Halima Saadiya from Bani Saad. Allah inspired him to say to her, you have two qualities that I love and therefore I will take you for my grandchild and I hope you will bestow upon him those two qualities. Okay? Saadun wa hulm. Happiness. Okay? Happiness and tolerance. Happiness and tolerance. Halima from hulm. Okay? And to be a halim is a very important, to be tolerant is something that is desirable. Well, sa'ada is the happiness. So she felt glad when he told her like that. She went with him. She entered the house. Amina got up happy because at least somebody came. Because many of the rich women, when they came looking into the houses, they came to her, they rejected her. She felt heartbroken. But when Halima came and Halima saw the child, she just loved him. He was lying down, covered in a blanket of wool, and it is described as a white blanket. And he was lying on a sheet that is green. Subhanallah. On his back. His eyes were closed. She approached him and she put her hand gently on his chest. Worried that she's going to disturb him from his sleep. He opened his eyes and looked at her and smiled. And she said, by Allah Almighty, as if he wanted me to come to carry him. So she carried him and held him to her chest and she felt glad. She asked her mother if she can excuse her to take him to the Kaaba to make a pledge to look after him. She went to the Kaaba with him and subhanallah, she said all the statues were standing there, they fell while there. They fell again. And she passed the greatest of the statues called Hubal. And she stood in front of him like this and this statue just went down and kissed his head, his forehead, in the seerah. And then she came through the black stone, because they used to have black stone in the Kaaba, so she wanted him to kiss the black stone. The black stone left his place and touched his face. Now, these are miraculous things. People might hear them and think, but I promise you, it is written in the seerah, you must believe in that. If you want to be close to Prophet everything written about him, you must believe. If he was taken to the Kaaba, the statues fell down, I believe. Hubal kissed his head, I believe. The statue or the, the black stone came out of his place and touched his face, face and kissed him, brother Muhammad kissing him, I believe. It is written. It is said. Otherwise, those wise men of the past, those who were closest to Prophet they would never write anything but the truth Ali Abdul Salatu was salam. Okay? Now, He وسلم, was taken by her and she left and all the women had already gone traveling. And you know in the desert they try to travel together because you don't know what's happening. There are bad people who can come in the street and steal your goods or even kill you. Okay? Sometimes if your food is okay, not enough or your water, you might die alone. So they try to travel together. But they all left and she's last. And she was traveling because her donkey is limping slowly. But subhanAllah, the moment they say she put Muhammad with her on her donkey and started traveling with the blessing of the grandfather of the Muttalib and said to her, go, Allah will look after you. Please look after my grandson and bring him to me as I have given him to you. And Halima was sad or Amina was sad to see him going. SubhanAllah, the moment she left, the donkey's limp is gone. This is a, a miracle to show that this is a sign 
whom she is carrying is not a normal okay, person. She was going so fast, all the women who came with her and they left her behind, when they were coming and they left her behind, when they were going, they were surprised she was passing them. She went and she went back to her family. She had goats, but she knew her goats were not giving good milk. She noticed this child is blessed. So she took the hand of this little baby and touched okay, the goat with them. And subhanallah, when she milked them, proper milk came for the first time. Not just enough to feed him and her family. There was too much milk, she was selling it. And by selling that milk, suddenly she was buying things. One of the historians of that time, or the men who wrote about it in the history, he said, I used to travel passing okay, this great woman's house, and I always found her in difficulty, and I used to help her. But by Allah Almighty God, I passed by after I went through earlier, and she had nothing. I came back and I could not believe her house. Everything she had, suddenly she became rich. And when I asked her, she told me, it is this child. It is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Okay, Who is he? He asked her. The his name is Muhammad. From where? From Quraysh. From whom? From Bani Hashim. Who is his father? His father has passed away, Abdullah. His grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. He went to his people and told them, by Allah Almighty God, I had never seen such blessing. The little child whom Halima is looking after, indeed is a blessed child. How could you say such a thing? He said, I have evidence. The child has done something great. Has made, okay, that house to become a flourishing house, a rich house. And that is the blessing of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam in the family of that great woman. Okay? Now, she had children as well. And Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam used to be with them. And one of them, in fact, his age, the age of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam, he was breastfed, breastfed with Muhammad Sallam at the time. And so when they were growing older, he was with them, but not with them. What they do where it is wrong, he will not join them. If they are doing something good, he will be the first to join them, to help them in doing the good. But there came a time, his mother, or, um, or Halima, will not allow him to be with, with them, and they will be away. So one day he asked her, where, where do they go? She said to him, they go and Look after the sheep and the animals. They were shepherds. He said, why don't I go with them? He said to him, but it's not for you. This is the job for them to do, not for you. He said, no, but I would like to go with them. After a lot of consultation and discussion, she allowed him to go with them. He was young at that time. And subhanallah, she described him as a baby with her. She said, I had never seen a baby growing like Muhammad sallallahu what a baby will achieve in one month, he used to achieve in one day. They asked her how. She said, could you believe in three months he was sitting up? In three months he was sitting up. In five months he was standing and walking properly. And in nine months he was speaking eloquently. Properly. No child is speaking nine months properly. You see? Maybe 17 or 18 months they begin to speak properly. But he spoke properly in nine months at the start of the time. But when he asked her to go out with them, he was only maybe about two and a half, three years old. So she used to allow him to go. They used to come and describe to her how he used to be. He used to be sitting, looking at the animals with the eye of mercy. Not looking at those animals which are healthy, the weaker ones. Those ones which were 
beaten up by the other animal or fought by the other animal and they're sitting finding a shade okay they're limping or something he will go there and counsel them and look after them and try to feed them the broken ones not the healthy ones and they say why do you do this and the only thing he used to say they need to be helped so who will help them i am here for them and that's show the mercy he had for the animal and then later on when he became the prophet he used to say to the companion show mercy to every creature even the animals show mercy to every creature even the animals don't leave them don't be harsh with them be good to them and at the age of four four and a half while one day he was playing with halima's children and other children in the area and they used to ride and they used to okay shoot with bows okay their arrows and they were and doing children things he will stand there looking at them while they're doing suddenly three strangers walked when the strangers walked the other children stood aside and they just came straight ahead to him one of them just took him and put him down to the floor open his shirt open his chest and put his hand out and pulled out his heart the others put down trays golden that described made of gold in one, there is water. The one who took out his heart, he opened it. And he was taking something black out of it. Black. And he was taking this water and washing it. The other tray had something very white. He was taking it and massaging that heart. And then he healed it, put it together, put it back, and put his hand like that, and everything went straight. But there was a sign. Anat ibn Malik said, Whenever I used to see the Prophet and his chest is open, I used to see a sign of an opening. Shaqqa sadr the opening of the chest. And subhanAllah, the boys ran with fear to Halima. Halima, Halima, what's happening? Muhammad is dead. Muhammad is dead. What do you mean he's dead? We're just coming, and these men, they just put him down, and they open his chest. What do you mean he's opening his chest? They killed him. What do you mean he killed? And there is no blood. How could you say he killed him and there is no blood? So she was confused. And while she's confused and frightened, she was looking to run out. He was coming, smiling. She held him. She looked at him. She looked at his chest. She hugged him. She got very frightened. She took him back to his mother straight away. Some, in some riwayat, they say this was about two and a half years old. But it, it, we say four or four and a half. When she took him back to his mother, his mother embraced him and she found him to be different and he was saying things and more aware of what is going on, more knowledgeable, more understanding. He's like a little gentleman. She wanted him with her, but yet his time was not finished yet with Halima. So Halima said to her, look, I need to take him back and I'll bring him. But I need him. She said to her, no, I need to take him with me. Abdul Muttalib was asking that he will be taken back. So she took him back. When they were riding and going away, Halima was looking okay, to the mother, seeing her crying, feeling upset. But in her heart, she's feeling that, inshallah, when he come back, she would be filled with joy. She took him back, and then she brought him back when he was about five years and one month. Generally, some people say five, some people say less than five, but one scholar said, Five years and one month. He was calculating it that way. Anyway, he's back now with his mother. 
and his mother was looking after him and he was staying with her and she was caring for him and he was staying all the time with his grandfather. And he used to go and sit with his grandfather around the Kaaba. And his uncles will come and prepare the firash or the bedding for the, okay, the grandfather to sit on as the leader of Quraysh. And none of them will dare to sit where he sits. Not because they are frightened, but because of respect. So subhanAllah, it is his throne. Muhammad used to come and do whatever they do with them and clean. And then one day he sat on it. And his uncles were telling him off badly. He didn't say anything. He just put his head down and tried to move away. His grandfather saw him moving away and he saw the way they treated him. He came very angrily and told them off. You should not do this to him. And he embraced him and he sat him next to him and he was massaging his back. And this was the habit he used to have all the time. As if to say to him, look, if your father is not here, I'm your father. This is later on why Sayyidina Muhammad he was saying, please, if you find the orphan, never speak to them harshly. Never tell them off. Never reject them. Never turn them away. Never be wicked to them. But treat them with respect. The least you could do is wipe your hand over their head. Or if you want to be like Abdul Muttalib, massage their back with your hand. He used to pass his hand over his, chest, his back like this. As if to say, don't worry. Just to comfort him. Now, when he became six years old, his mother asked the grandfather if she can take him and go and visit his father's uncles. Because, okay, his father's mother is from Medina to go and visit them. And perhaps there might be a chance for her to visit the grave of her husband, Abdullah, and for him, inshallah, to see that grave. This is her intention. So they traveled, they arrived there, Medina. It's like a holiday place. It has trees, it has water. It is more beautiful in the sense of the beauty of nature than Mecca. Mecca is more harsher, more rocks and mountains and drier. So he said, telling himself that when he went to Medina, it's so beautiful. In fact, he described, he said, there's like a, a little uh, well or a pond of water. His mother used to go there and to take from it, and she used to swim in it. And he used to say, I had never seen somebody swimming so good like my mother. He sallallahu described his mother. And then, after spending a month or so there, she said to him, look, I have to take you back. As if she knew the time has come for her to go. And while she took him to the grave of his father, she stood there thanking Allah for him, coming through her. But he stood, she described him to the person who was with her. Because when she went to the journey, a lady accompanied her. And that lady who accompanied her in the journey is called Baraka. She's from Abyssinia, from Habasha. And later on, Rasulullah allowed her to marry okay, uh, Zayd ibn Haritha. And she had a son okay, uh, called Ayman. And therefore, she is called Ummu Ayman. Okay? Baraka Ummu Ayman al-Habashiyya. So, subhanAllah, she accompanied her in the journey. And while they are there, she was describing. She said, Subhanallah, while Muhammad was standing by his father's grave, he was addressing him as if he could see him talking to him. He knew what he was doing. 
and in some historical yani, uh, writings, some people, some people say that, not all, but some say, at that time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed him to speak to his father and to hear from him saying, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu an Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yeah. So, subhanallah, then from there, they were traveling back and while they are traveling, they pass a place called Al-Abwa. Okay? It is said it is a small place just after Medina, before Mecca. Okay? When you are traveling the way. Or a place called Shu'ab. But mainly Al-Abwa is more yani, clearer to understand because a lot of the historian went towards it. And there, subhanallah, she felt very sick. Amina. And she was not in a position to travel any further. So she sat Muhammad down and addressed him as the mother who is going to leave a great son to be in the future a leader to his people or to mankind. In a way, she said to him, look, listen to me, my son. I am proud of having you. I'm great, grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving you to me. Your father has passed away not being able to see you. That's why I brought you to Medina. And now, you need to continue your journey without me because you have got a great things to do. You need to go back to your family in Mecca and I will not be going. They say he was so sad. He was crying and the tears were dripping on the ground until the ground was getting wet beneath him. And Umm Ayman who was sitting there crying as well. And then she turned to Umm Ayman and said to Umm Ayman who was comforting her, said to her, no, don't worry. We will go to Mecca. You will be all right. You're going to be saved. Everything will be okay. Don't worry, Amin. I said, no, no, listen to me. Would you promise me one thing? You will be a mother to him and you will return him to the house of his grandfather. She promised her and it is said that from that day, Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu always used to call her Ummah to Ummu Ayman because she said to her, be a mother to him. So he took it like a directive. You're going to be a mother to me? You are my mother, Ummah. He used to call her. Amina died. And she was buried there. And then straight away, Muhammad Sallam came back and Barakah brought him back, Umm Ayman, to his grandfather. And his grandfather looked into him and saw sadness. And he felt very, very sad. He embraced him and cried. And the more he sees the tears of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam in his face, he was crying more, feeling very, very sad about what he could see. So subhanAllah, then he said to him, I will promise you one thing. I will never leave you alone. And it is described in the seerah that he will never eat without Muhammad Sallam. And he will never travel without Muhammad Sallam. Whenever he's traveling, he will travel with him. Whenever he's eating, he will eat with him. No place he will go without Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Once upon a time, he heard his uncle speaking to him in a harsh way. He turned to them and said to them, Da'uhu, leave him alone. This one, you are treating like this, one day he will have a great affair. He is repeating again at this age, okay, what he repeated when he was born, okay? Now, when he was eight years old, his grandfather fell sick, very, very sick. And while his grandfather was sick, 
all the uncles were there. Al-Harith and the rest of the uncles were around. And Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam knew no father, only his grandfather. So he was standing, because the uncles were there, closer, he was standing further away. And the sadness that was described about him, that if his grandfather died, and his mother already had passed away, he had nobody. This is what he felt. He felt so sad, he was crying. He was crying so much that his grandfather, who was so sick, suddenly opened his eyes and looked at him, and he began to tear, and he spoke with a soft voice, calling him to come to him. When he came closer to him, he embraced him and said to him, Don't worry. Fear not, for indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will look after you, for I know you have a great life to come. Tell me, how did you know that? If Allah did not inspire him to say those words to him, to comfort him, he would not know. So that is something that has been recorded. Now, then, his grandfather died. It was very sad, not just for Muhammad Sallam, but for all the people of Mecca. And they made a big thing about it, and they buried him. Once he's buried, Abu Talib, the father of Ali, radiallahu ta'ala, anhu, took him over. And subhanallah, that was about eight years old. When he brought him to his house, he said to him, listen, Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, your father died, and you were not born. Your mother died, you were six years old. Your grandfather, who looked after you like a father, died when you were eight years old. But I promise you one thing. I will treat you like my son better than my children. And they say from that day, Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam to Abi Talib was the most important person. He never, never ate without him. And he never slept away from him. He was always sleeping next to him in a bed. If they sleep, they sleep together. Always Muhammad Sallam next to him. And later on, if you look at the seerah, when Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam was leaving Mecca, who slept in his bed? Ali ibn Abi Talib. Because Ali and Muhammad Sallam, they always used to be together. Although the Prophet was older, Muhammad was younger. So they say Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam was doing this in return to his uncle Abu Talib. He was looking after Ali just like Abu Talib looked after him. Okay? The same way. That's why he married him to Fatima. That's why he called him, okay, his family, Ali ibn Abi Talib. Okay? He favored him. People don't understand that, but that's the reason. Because Abu Talib really favored him and looked after him to the extent that nobody else could look after him. And one day, at the age of about 12, some people say 9, but I think 12 years old, the majority agree upon, Abu Talib, a caravan was going, okay, for a journey to the north and to a place called Busra. Busra is in the east of the modern Jordan, okay, towards Iraq. Subhanallah, he was going there and the caravan, when he got into his camel to go, Muhammad was standing there, so Muhammad held the rein of the camel and starts crying. And he turned to him and he said to him, Ya Am, إلى ما تتركني ولا أبلي ولا أم Oh uncle, to whom are you going to leave me? And I have no father nor mother. And his uncle was hit hard by the word of Sayyidina Muhammad standing there and weeping or crying. 
he couldn't go without him. Okay? Then he looked at him and said to him, Wallahi la akhruj illa bika wa la ufariquka abadan. These are exact words that are written for him. Wallahi la akhruj illa bika wa la ufariquka abadan. By Allah Almighty God, I will never leave without you and I will never leave you after this at all. Wherever I am, you will be with me. Then they went. Until they arrived at the market of Busra. And while they are sitting, putting the thing, the thing for the first time, he never traveled out of Mecca. But to Medina and come back. Subhanallah, they were busy. Different people. People coming from all over the place. Arabs and non-Arabs, Christian, Jews, atheists, whatever. Everybody in the market. The was sitting there, helping his uncle to sell. And suddenly this guy walks over. And he was standing looking. And he was sitting and looking and gazing at this young guy. His uncle was frightened. Why, 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 why is he doing that? And subhanallah. Then he said to him, look. Who is this child? He said, why are you asking the question? He said, I'm just asking not to be worried. This child is a very special child. But who is he? He said, he's my nephew. Are you his father? He said, no. I am his uncle. He is my nephew. He is Muhammad. When he told him he is Muhammad, وسلم, the man was shaken. He said to him, don't be frightened, but I'm going to tell you things that might worry you. But I'm advising you for the sake of this little child. If this child is Muhammad, he is the true man of the time. He is going to be the greatest man ever to walk on this earth. In our books it is written, there will be a child born in Mecca. Okay? For a father who will be called Abdullahi, a mother who will be called Amina. He will be from a noble tribe living in the area surrounded by the mountain next to the Kaaba and he will have a sign. What sign is it? He said, a sign will be between his shoulder blade in the back. Can I have a look? He said, no. His uncle said, you're not going to touch him. He was worried. He said, I promise you I will not do anything. Sayyidina Hassan was sitting like this. For Allah يعني, is looking as well, wanted to show the reality of the thing. His shirt just fell to the back a little bit. And they could see a little indentation on his back, like an egg shape. Written on it, there are different narrations. But written on it literally, Haysurun Maysur. Haysurun Maysur. Two words, we don't understand. But the rest can be understood. Idhab Haythu Mashi'it Fainaka Mansur. Go wherever you wish, you will always be victorious. Now, subhanallah, this is a brilliant thing to have. Okay, our grand sheikh used to say, whoever has that khatim written properly and has it, and every morning he looks at it and says, يعني, أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وأن محمد رسول الله إذهب حيث ما شئت إنك منصور and then he kissed it Allah will make every affair they do successful. And he used to write it to his students and say, carry it with you. Yeah? So we will always, we always carry it with us. And that's the idea. So subhanallah, this is Sayyidina Muhammad sallam, while he is 12 years old. The people are amazed by him. And that man was talking like this. Then he said to him, look, what's your name, Abdul Muttalib? Okay, Abu Talib, sorry. What's your name, Abu Talib? Ya Abu Talib, I advise you, take this young man 
and leave immediately. For indeed, the people of this land, if they got to know about him, because many of them are waiting for that child to be from them, they will definitely kill him. Take him and leave. Abu Talib was so worried and frightened, he gathered everything, and Sayyidina Muhammad was asking him, why, what's happening? He said, don't worry. And they left. They came back to Mecca, and while they are in Mecca, okay, dealing okay, with different things, like normal things, Sayyidina Muhammad used to take his uncle's animals to graze. That was his favorite time to spend, to go to the mountain, grazing with the animal, thinking, pondering, wanting to know extra things. And it is said, he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is somebody whom a lot of people, when they see him, they described him as Allah wants him to be described. Okay? Now, for example, this rahib, okay, or this Christian monk, said to his uncle, احتفظ عليه من الحساد واليهود فإن ابنك هذا نبي وذكره محمود. This is his statement. Look after your child from those who will be envious of his status and from the Jews because they want that prophet to be from them. For indeed, this son of yours is a prophet and his mention is praised. And therefore, we say Muhammad fil ardi wa Mahmudun fil sama. He is named the praised one on the earth, okay, and the praised by the malaika in the heaven. Muhammadun fil ard wa Mahmudun fil sama alayhi abdul salatu wa salam. Then he said as well, inni arahu sayyid al-alamin wa rasulallahi wa nabiya. I see him and I know from my teaching as the master of all humans, the leader of all humans, and the messenger of Allah and his prophet. Okay? And then he said something extra. I know from his face that this little son of yours, the trees, the stones, will prostrate for him. And no tree, no stone or rock will prostrate only to a prophet. Only to a prophet. And he, his uncle knew that. In the Kaaba, whenever he walks in, the statues will fall down. His uncle asked him, how do you know all this? He said to him, indeed, we find this in our books. Indeed, we will find his description in the books. Okay? That which was revealed in the ancient days from the heaven. Right? And between his shoulder blade is a sign of prophethood. And that he saw okay, in him. Now, when he وسلم, used to go and sit in the mountains and ponder and think, this is what the people used to describe him as being a teenager. And look at the teenagers of today, and we know how they behave and how they do, and look at this young teenager. Number one, he was the best among all the youth of his time, the children and the adults, in being able to be the first to help people. If anybody needed help, it will be Muhammad Sallam. 
he'll be there first. Somebody died and a grave needs to be dug, he'll be there. Somebody is sick and he needs somebody to sit by them, he will be there. When the people rush, they find Muhammad there. Somebody is hungry and needs food. If people rushing to bring him food, they find Muhammad sitting next to him. Somebody is thirsty and needing water, Muhammad will be there. Somebody is coming, rushing, asking for anything, he's a young, young kid, but he will get up first to help. Even if he doesn't have. And he will try to find one of his uncles to take him to, to help. He was described by all the people of his time in that age as the best in manners and conduct. Nobody is like him. He was kind, he was generous, he was lenient, he was in every aspect that you can think of him, alayhi wasallam. But yet, he was the most modest. Modesty was his best quality. He was always putting his head down and acting with shyness. He would never approach anything only when he's invited. He will never be speaking only when he's spoken to. And when he spoke, he will only speak the truth. He will never lie. He was in fact described as the most truthful person living in Mecca at that time. And therefore everybody among the Christians, the Jews, the Mushrikeen, everybody from his family, they used to call him a Sadiq. This is his nickname. A Sadiq. Imagine what a beautiful nickname. A Sadiq. Not just that, because he was so truthful, if anyone wants to do anything, okay, to be looked after, to be taken care of, they will come to him. And through that, because of his honesty, he became also Al-Amin. And therefore his most important name, Al-Sadiq, Al-Amin, One of the best things that you find in the seerah, and this is today common among all people, to be rude and to be vulgar, to swear, to use foul language. It is described by everyone among the Muslims and the non-Muslims that Muhammad sallallahu was the one who has never been heard to ever utter one word that is vulgar or rude by his tongue. And how can he when the Quran was recited by his pure tongue sallallahu How? Never. Nobody described him as fahish wala badhi. Makan Rasulullah He was never insulting, swearing, using vulgar or rude language, and he never, never, ever in his life, okay, put anybody down. He was always using the good language. Another thing, he was always generous. If any guest come, because he was in his uncle's house, he would be the first to rush to welcome them into the house, to give them water, to try to arrange food for them. That is his way, okay? And he was always advising people to do that which is good and to keep away from wrong. As if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him the job from early age to advise people what is right and what is wrong. Al-Amri bil-Ma'roof wa nahi al-Mukar enjoining right and forbidding evil. One amazing thing, he used to enjoy the best when he goes out as a shepherd because when he was about 12, 13, 14 years old, he was a shepherd in Mecca and people used to pay him. This is his job. Everybody knows that. He used to make money out of it. He used to enjoy buying food from that money and serving people by using that money all the time. And he used to encourage people later on, the best that I found in my life is eating from that which I earned. Okay? That is the best thing, rather than going out and asking. So he says, it is better for the person to go out and cut wood and sell it in the market 
and earn little money and eat from it rather than putting his hand to people asking them. Perhaps they give him, perhaps they refuse him. The hand that gives is better than the hand that receives. That is the encouragement of Rasulullah to people, always encouraging work. Now, when he was about 14, 15 years old, Ali والسلام, there was a war between his tribe, Quraysh, okay, and another tribe called Qais. Now, the war started for one reason or another, and his uncles were adamant that they're going to fight this war because they were unfair against them. And to show that he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yani, was always in the right side, he decided that the side of his uncle was to be fought for. So he stood with his uncle and told them that he will fight on their behalf. Initially, they were not wanting him to join because he's young, but then they allowed him and he was fighting in that battle. And the battle was called, okay, the battle of Al-Fijar, okay? Al-Fijar. And he, subhanAllah, was one of the best people who fought in that battle. And it was the first battle he was fighting in his life. And he was shooting with arrows. And they say they had never seen a man who was more accurate in what he was doing in that battle defending okay, his family. Now, Rasulullah said in a hadith later on, شهدت مع عمومتي حلف المطيبين فما أحب أن أنكثه He was about at that time maybe 17, 18 or 19 years old almost 20 years old there was a man, a stranger who came to Mecca a businessman carrying a lot of good and he was selling and one of the noblest men of Mecca invited him to his house, asked him to show his goods. He bought everything from him. And the man was very happy. So he kept going to his house asking for the payment. And the man, the nobleman was refusing to give him. And the man felt very bad. He wanted to go. He wanted to travel to go back to his family. His goods were taken and money was not paid. So when he felt bad, he went to other people in Quraysh in other tribes, please help me. Noblemen, could you please help me to get my money back? Nobody was willing to help because they were not going to stand against that nobleman. So he went and climbed on a mountain opposite, okay, to suffer. And now while he's on top of that place, and the place is called Qais, while standing on top, he started screaming by a loud voice, I am a stranger who comes to the land of Mecca, of the good people, standing here, seeking someone who's genuine enough, honest enough, good enough, to stand by somebody who's been wrong. Who is amongst you is a good man? Who will come to my defense? So and so has taken my goods and refused to pay for me. Who will come to my defense? Who will come for my help? And now, subhanAllah, while he's doing this, one of the uncles of Rasulullah sallallahu called Zubair, got up straight away. He was well known, just like Hamza, okay? He will never, or Al-Abbas, these are uncles, okay, later who became Muslim, he will never stand with somebody who's doing wrong. He got up straight away. Sayyidina Muhammad when he saw him, he smiled and got up and followed him. Other men who were 
in the side of good, they got up and joined them. They used to have a, a place where they have meeting and shura, consultation, or when they have got important meetings. So they went to the place, and the place was called Dar Jud'an. Dar Jud'an. So they went to Dar Jud'an, they sat down, they consulted on the case of this man. They asked him, they consulted him, they consulted the man who took the goods by sending an envoy. He came back, told him the news. He saw the goods in the house. They realized that he had no right to take away his goods and not to pay him. They were so upset with that. So they decided to go to the man, whether he will give them by his own will or they're going to fight to bring it back. And Muhammad Sallam went with them. And when they went with him, the man agreed to give the goods back. Okay? And to make okay, an agreement. And this agreement is called Hilf al-Mutayyibin. Okay? The association or the standing together of the people who will bring people together to sort out a problem without any battle or spilling any blood. And Rasulullah in the hadith, he said, later on, once I agree an agreement, I will never break it. So if that man who returned back the goods because I made an agreement with him, if he does anything, I'm not going to do anything to him because he agreed to return back okay, the goods. So they brought the goods back from him. They gave it to the man and the man took his goods and he realized that will never happen unless there is someone there who have goodness in them. And for us as Muslims today, we realize as Zubairi, the uncle of Rasulullah was a good man. But the goodness that came to that majlis and the generous agreement that was made was made only because of Sayyidina Muhammad وسلم, because he was sitting with them. Now, Sayyidina Muhammad وسلم, spent most of that time okay, sitting with his uncles, debating issues, understanding and appreciating what is happening in the society and the community, wanting to know more of what to do. So, although he was a shepherd, he was now a person who can fight with his uncle in a battle, a person who can be treated with respect because he's honest and truthful, a person who can make sulh or agreement between people. He's a leader, born to be a leader. But not any leader, a leader who's wise, a leader who was generous, a leader who was honest to stand by the side of those people who want to do good in the community and the society. Until there came a time when the richest woman in Quraysh Okay. Khadija. She realized that her business was doing well, but not well enough because she doesn't have the right people to work in it. And the man who was working for her at the time and managing her caravans to travel north and south decided to tell her that, look, if you really want this business to succeed, we need extra hand, but... I believe we need honest people. And if you can manage to convince Muhammad وسلم, then I think we can do something good. And then Khadija anha accepted. And she told him to go and approach Muhammad and to invite him. He did. And when he sat in front of her, she asked him, would he work with them to do business? And he agreed after consulting his uncle Abu Talib. And Alhamdulillah, he then began his next stage of his journey of his life by working in business and traveling and in that journey whereby his attributes of the prophet began to be seen clearly inshallah next week when we come we're going to talk about 
that journey of Rasulullah Sallam from the age of 23-24 to the age of 25 when he married Khadija and having his children Al-Qasim wa Tayyib okay, and Zainab Ruqayya Um Kulthum and Fatima and we'll talk about those children inshallah and what happened to them whom they married what children they have because it's a part of knowing Muhammad Sallam and then we are going to talk about him from the age of 35 when he began to cut himself away from Mecca and stopping all the work in business, whatever, and sitting in the mountains, just worshipping Allah and seeking from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the guidance to show him the truth because he felt the people of Mecca at that time were in error. So this is Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu journey from the time when he was born to the time, inshallah, when he became uh, a teenager or almost 20 years old, alayhi wa salatu I hope, inshallah, next week when we come, we can benefit from that journey. What I would like you to do, if you can, I will do this every week. I have learned in my lifetime 40 ways for those who really want to get closer to Rasulullah And those 40 ways is to open the door between you and Muhammad so that Allah can allow you to see him in your dream. This is every wish of every man. We would love to see Muhammad Sallam in our dream. But there is three conditions. Before you start, I'm going to give you the 40. Every time I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you the 40 ways. Because it's not good for me just to know them and not to teach them to people. Now, the three conditions you must do, fulfill before you start what I'm going to tell you. Because it doesn't make sense. You have those three, which are going to be a barrier. And you are trying. You have a key. But I ask you, before you put the key in, okay, you need to remove three obstacles. And you're still not removing the obstacle, try to put the key in, and the key is not going in. Yeah? So now, number one, in order for you, okay, to benefit from what I'm going to teach you to see the Prophet if your parents are alive, and you have any difficulty with your parents, or problem with your parents, or if you have upset your parents, you must make peace with your parents. If you have an unacceptable relationship with your parents, this is a difficulty. Okay? Allah said in the Quran, and make sure that you are grateful to me and unto your parents. There is no compromise in that. If you are not grateful to your parents, you are not grateful to Allah. And Allah will not pay those who are ungrateful. Number two, and it is also very, very, very important, it is essential. Okay? If you have any person that you have wronged and they are upset with you, seek from them to pardon you. Apologize. Don't be arrogant. Don't think, oh, I don't care whether they forgive me or not. I don't. If they have passed away, then pay something in charity on their behalf and make dua for them as much as you can. Okay, that Allah will forgive them, Allah can repay you. And number three, don't you ever go to your bed at night and you are carrying a grudge or an anger with somebody. There is a hadith of Rasulullah in which he says, whosoever goes to his bed and he is not angry with anybody, Allah will forbid their body from the hellfire. Whosoever goes to bed and he has no anger with nobody, he forgives everybody, Allah will forbid their body for the hellfire. This is three conditions you do. So the first one I'm going to tell you, it is said, okay, by the greatest mashayikh, 
whosoever wants to see the Prophet ﷺ in their dream, he should do for seven consecutive Thursdays. Thursday evening before you go to bed, for seven Thursdays, recite every Thursday evening after you pray your Isha or your Witr before you go to bed, a hundred times, al Ibrahimiyya. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad kama sallayta ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa ala Ali Sayyidina Ibrahim fil alamina innaka hamidun majid. Allahumma barik ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala Ali Ibrahim fil alamina innaka hamidun majid. If you do this a hundred times, the Sheikh who told this said by Allah Almighty God, if somebody does it with genuine okay, intention, before the seventh says they come, you will see the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in your dream. Yeah? And it is tried and it is approved. So may Allah make it easy for me and for you to use it, to benefit from it, and to be allowed to have the best here and hereafter. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad in salat abdin qallat hilatahu wa rasulallahi wa silatahu wa anta laha ya ilahi wa likulli karbin azim wa farrij anna ma nahnu fi fadli bismillahi ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma inna nazaluka ilman nafi'a wa qalban khashi'a wa nuran sati'a wa rizqan wasi'a wa shifa'a min kulli da wa alqina anin nas. Rabbana shrah sudurana, yastir umurana, iftahillahumma alayna fatuhal arifina al-ashirin. Rabbana hdina fi man hadayt, aafina fi man aafayt, tawallana fi man tawallayt. Rabbana aati nufusana taqwaha, wa zakkiha fa innaka anta khayru man zakkaha. Ishrah sudurana, nawir basairana, lama آتنا سؤلنا وبلغنا مقصودنا واجعل جمعنا هذا جمع مباركا مرحومة واجعل تفرقنا من بعده تفرقا معصومة ما فينا ولا معنا ولا منا الشقير ولا محرومة ونذألك الله بالأولياء بالصالحين بجمعهم من جاءنا القرآن عنهم مرشدا فرج بفضلك إلهي كربنا يا خير مد الأنم له يدا I ask Allah سبحانه وتعالى to remove all the barriers between us and him and to remove all the barriers between us and his beloved Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, if we have any of those three conditions I put through, may Allah remove it for us. May Allah make it easier for us to remove them. May Allah help us in removing them. May Allah allow us to be able to see him Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah majma'na bihabibika al-Mustafa. Allah majma'na bihabibika al-Mustafa. Allah majma'na bihabibika al-Mustafa. Wa alihi ahla sidhu wa al-wafa. Wa kullana mu'inan wa muz'ifa. Wa wu'ina min al-jannati gurafa. Rabbi وكفر اللهم عنا الذنوب والأوزار واحشرنا مع النبيين والأبرار برحمتك يا الله يا عزيز يا غفار اللهم يا ربي يا الله أسألك في هذه الساعة for all the Muslims who are suffering all over the world especially those who are suffering in Gaza and in Syria and in Somalia and in Darfur and in Afghanistan and in every place else where Muslims are suffering especially those who are suffering in the border of Bangladesh رب العالمين in Burma may Allah سبحانه وتعالى make their life easy May Allah put our heart in the right position so that we can help them. May Allah shower us with mercy and give us mercy and allow us to use our mercy to support those people and help them. Allahumma rabbi anna laka b'abidan muhsinin khalisina mukhlisina barahmatika arhamar rahimin. All those people who are ill, may Allah heal them. All those who are suffering, may Allah remove the suffering. All those who are obstacle in their life, may Allah remove their obstacles. All those who are difficult, may Allah remove their difficulties. Those who are seeking knowledge, may Allah make it easy for them. Those who are seeking healing, may Allah heal them. Those who are seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give them tawfiq in every endeavor, may Allah make them successful. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give anybody who is seeking to get married the rightest partner to be married to them, Ya Rabbi Alameen. Those who are not unemployed, may Allah employ them. 
and those who are employed, may Allah make them sincere in their life, and those who are married, may Allah give them children if they have no children, and those who have children, may Allah them to be wise and sayyid, Ya Rabbal Alameen. Rabbi hifadna wa sturna wa unsurna wa ayidna wa kulana wa ratakun alayna wa salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim. I ask Allah for all those people who asked you and asked me to pray for them. Rabbi nahfazhum, Rabbi nasturhum, Rabbi nansurhum wa iyana wa iyahum, wajalna min adidika ya Allahu ya Rahman ya Rahim. وصلي وسلم على سيدنا احمد وعلى وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين الفاتحه بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين اياك نعبد واياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين انعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين 